Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Welcome to the Larry Kudlow Show. Great pleasure to be with you today, as always. By the way, join us during the week. Fox Business. Name of the show is Kudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. If you can't join us at 4... You can text your favorite nine-year-old and she will show you how to DVR the show or there's a rerun from seven to eight. And here on the radio, you can live stream us on the internet, LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com. So, as always, plenty to talk about. First up is the debate, the big Republican debate Wednesday we were out there broadcasting from the Reagan Library, which is a beautiful place, by the way. Everybody should go to the Reagan Library. It's a fabulous place. And you'll learn even more than you knew about Ronald Reagan, one of the greatest presidents in American history. My honor to have worked for him in the OMB Budget Bureau during his first term. In fact, I met my saintly wife in the Reagan White House been married 36 years. Anyway, we were out there broadcasting, grinding it out for uh, two days. But the debate, the debate, well, the winner of the debate was Donald Trump. (laughs) He wasn't there, but he won the debate. I mean, that's the long and short of it. The uh, morning consult poll shows an eight-point swing post-debate. Eight-point swing. Trump went from 58% to 63%, and DeSantis went from 15% to 12%. So Mr. Trump is now at 63%. DeSantis, 12 Ramaswamy, 7 Mike Pence and uh, Nikki Haley, 5 uh, Christie, 3 Scott, 2 etc., etc. Yeah, Trump won the debate. Uh, We're going to have Charlie Hurt and John Carney come on uh, at the half hour and talk about the debate and a lot of other things. But it was a disappointing debate, as the first one was a disappointing debate in terms of the uh, challengers to former President Trump. Actually, I'm going to borrow a phrase from uh, my pal Carney, He'll say it himself, but Trump was addressing the union workers in Michigan. He spoke to the auto workers, who, of course, are striking. And uh, Trump said, under the Trump administration, gasoline engines will be allowed and sex changes for children will be banned. That pretty much (laughs) covers it all, does it not? That's the kind of phrase that makes Trump so... uh, wonderfully difficult to beat and the others and the debate just can't possibly do that i mean look i wanted to see a real swing from the heels blast 
at Joe Bidenomics and Joe Bidenflation. And what you had was a tiny bit of it, a little bit of it, but nothing major. You know, I wanted to see big government socialism, an assault on big government socialism, and a full-throated defense of free market capitalism or free enterprise capitalism. That's the kind of thing I wanted to see. We didn't get that. You know, we got cautious little tidbits here and there. They didn't go, you know, inflation was mentioned, of course, but they didn't really get to the affordability issue. I mean, they didn't really talk about why you, you can't, average people cannot afford to buy homes because of Biden inflation, because of high interest rates, 7% plus mortgage rate. People can't afford to buy a home. Home prices are out of reach for typical American families. Well, they didn't really get to that. They didn't really hammer away at that. They didn't talk about the need for growth, 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 growth. Not one or two percent with three or four or five percent inflation, but you want four or five or six percent economic growth, so a rising tide will lift all boats with two percent or less inflation. They didn't really get to it. Didn't really get to it. And hence, the only one talking in those terms is Donald Trump, who is so familiar with the issues and he's so familiar with how to make an emotional contact with ordinary folks. I mean, that's Trump's specialty. He knows how to make an emotional uh, contact. Like saying, uh, you know, like uh, talking about under the Trump administration, gasoline engines will be allowed and sex changes for children will be banned. I mean, that's an emotional contact and these uh, others they just couldn't they don't they don't get it done i didn't see a commander-in-chief i didn't see a commander-in-chief of the economy and i didn't see an overall commander-in-chief and i think you know debating points here and there and then they're yelling at each other uh mark simone on the tv show called the uh, like a brawling game show. I mean, they didn't really see that. Who's the commander-in-chief? Who's going to convince Americans that they are the stewards of economic growth and prosperity? Who's going to do, who was going to do that on that stage? The answer is none of them. The answer is none of them. I don't think there was really, you know, people look at that person confidently and say, well, that's the person. Bang. So I don't think they got it done. Uh, I don't see the point of having more debates. We've had two. Nothing's changed. If anything, Trump has gotten stronger. Trump's overall numbers um, in a primary have gotten stronger. Now I know polls are not votes, but polls are snapshots of what folks are thinking. And right now, Trump is, he's running better than 60%. And nobody's close to him. And uh, DeSantis has faltered. You know, there were moments, Vivek Ramaswamy had some good moments. Haley had some good moments. DeSantis had some good moments. 
But they were small snippets. They were small moments. You know what I mean? Small. Not big bang moments. Not really coming out with the gloves on. Stop socialism. Stop socialism. Restore capitalism. How about this, folks? In the, in the Reagan library, with the spirit of Ronald Reagan, Reagan hanging over everybody, where was we need to slash tax rates? Tax rates. We need to slam taxes. You know, we need to take the top rate from nearly 40%, get that back down to 20%. We need to get middle-class tax rates way down. They're running 25%. Let's get them down to 10%. Let's grow the economy. Let those revenues come pouring in. Let's reinvigorate supply-side economics. They didn't really get there. There was talk about getting rid of Biden's regulations. That's good. But they didn't talk about getting rid of taxes. Or, for example, Biden wants to raise taxes on everyone. Large and small businesses and individuals. Biden is a class warrior. Let's penalize successful earners or successful investors. Well, they didn't really hammer at that. Never even mentioned the need. I mean, Grover Norquist... On the TV show Thursday night, we were still broadcasting from the Reagan Library. And Grover said, you know, all the states, look at how many states are cutting taxes. Grover will be on this show later on in the second hour. And um, cutting taxes is very popular. States are doing it left and right. Lower tax rates, flat taxes. There's no mention of that. No mention of that whatsoever. So these are, you know, these are things that should have come up but didn't come up. And um, that's why they went nowhere. It's not that they aren't capable people. It's not that they aren't fundamentally right of center conservative people, quote unquote. But they're no sizzle people, strong people upend the establishment people, beat up the left-wing democratic elites people. Now, they're all against the Green New Deal. That was fine. But they didn't really smash it. They didn't really go after I don't know that they talked about gasoline versus electric vehicle automobiles. I'm not even sure that came up. So... The one guy who's out there talking about that stuff again and again, sinking real wages, high interest rates, no affordability. That one guy, Donald Trump, extended his lead. And uh, Newt Gingrich was on our show Thursday night and Newt, you know, Newt said there's just no reason to have more debates. That's what Trump, uh, Trump texted or whatever posted on Truth Social, no point in having more debates. Let's band together, get behind Trump, and beat Biden. Trump's got a lead on Biden now, recent polls, five to 10 point lead. That's a heck of a thing. Just back him. That's not gonna happen, I know. You won't get that till the Iowa caucuses. And people will start dropping out left and right. But I'm just saying the debate was an opportunity for the 
non-Trump group, and they didn't get there. They did not get there. By the way, the UAW strike is extended, and um, none of these candidates really came out with any sympathy at all for the strikers, even though sympathy is tailor-made because the strikers are striking against Bidenflation and sinking real wages. And the strikers are striking against Biden's radical Green New Deal, which would end gas-powered cars and jam electric vehicles down our throats, which is a big boon for Mexico, which makes the batteries, or each has the commodities for the batteries. The Bidens are preventing the commodity exploration, and nobody really walked through that scenario because that's what the UAW is striking against. Biden's socialist Green New Deal. No more gas-powered cars. We're all going EV. Well, guess what? EVs require 40% less labor. So you're going to decimate auto workers, both union and non-union. Should have come up. Didn't really come up. In fact, Tim Scott started the debate, or near the top of the debate, by bashing the UAW. Well... I don't necessarily like the leadership of the UAW. They'll wind up back in Joe Biden. But the rank and file is suffering from Bidenomics and the Green New Deal. Bang, go get them. Didn't. Bang, go get big government socialism. Bang, go get lower taxes across the board. Bang, bang, bang. Didn't do it. There's a story up on uh, Breitbart this morning. I love Breitbart, by the way. Uh, Trump out in California, wowing him in California. And one guy says, so Trump, I guess Trump went to some ice cream place and was buying everybody ice cream cones. So one guy's quoted as saying, Trump bought me an ice cream cone. Biden gave me $6 gas. (laughs) You gotta love that. Trump bought me ice cream. Biden gave me $6 gas. Well, doesn't that sum it up? (laughs) That's the kind of thing, you know, that's so totally cool. That's why Democrats are quaking in their boots. It's just terrific stuff. So, Mr. Trump is uh, in the driver's seat. And the debaters are not getting it done. It's a tough assignment. I don't have anything against these others. Some of them are good pals of mine. But uh, Vague's a good friend. Mike Pence is a good friend. I know where I work with Nikki Haley. I don't know DeSantis. He's, he's, a, he's a very sequestered guy. He doesn't talk to anybody. He's completely unaccessible. Tim Scott's a really good guy. Uh, anyway, Mr. Trump is in the driver's seat. Mr. Trump is the guy who wants to restore the economy cut taxes, end the regulatory assault, stop the Green New Deal, drill, baby, drill. Mr. Trump is, um, he's the one. He's a culture warrior. He'll shut down the border. He's got the experience. He's done it before. He has an overwhelming lead, deservedly so. We'll take a break here. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. You know, a pretty good news story developing. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. may withdraw from the Democratic primaries and run instead as an independent. And the Democratic establishment is going nuts over this idea. Uh, He will damage Biden. We'll actually talk about this uh, with Charlie Hurton and uh, John Carney in a minute or two. But, I mean, I, 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 I think, I think, I think, I think he will hurt Biden more because he's a Kennedy and a Democrat. And there's... Um, there's always a Kennedy pulse in the Democratic Party. But uh, Bob Kennedy Jr., wh- whom I know, we just had a dinner with him, the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, a couple of weeks ago, uh, about 35 people. Um, and uh, Mr. Kennedy spoke to us and took questions for over an hour. Very gracious, I might add. Uh Committee to Unleash Prosperity is essentially a supply-side conservative group, and he knows that um, we're not going to agree on many things, but we did agree on some things anyway. He's running uh, as an anti-establishment guy against the deep state. I mean, to some extent, that's Trump territory he'd be running against. But um, in any event, the Democrats have shut him out. The DNC and the White House stopping him from really running in the primaries. So they're rigging it for Joe Biden, which is stupid because Biden is such a loser. Uh, So he's going to run as an independent, or so we guess. He himself says, get ready for an October 9th speech in Philadelphia, and uh, Mediate is uh, saying he's going to declare as an independent. Democratic National Committee is saying, no, he won't. We'll see more about that story as it's breaking. And then, of course, the other story out there, I guess, is the um, is the fiscal breakdown, the government shutdown. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, cannot seem to get a Republican deal, so we're going to have a shutdown. So I'm not really in favor of the shutdown, but what the heck? Non-essential government spending will be shut down. So if it's non-essential, shut it down. I can't get that excited about it. We'll take a break here. Charlie Hurt and uh, Breitbart's uh, John Carney coming up to talk about all the news of the day. Get rid of big government socialism. Slash taxes across the board. For heaven's sakes, I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. 
Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Hey, Mikey, if you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Uh, Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart, Brian. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow, and a little bit of News of the Week in review. We've got Charlie Hurt, Washington Times opinion editor and Fox News contributor. We've got John Carney, economics editor of Breitbart News and co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest. Welcome back to both of you. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, kids. Uh, John Carney. Under the Trump administration, gasoline engines will be allowed and sex changes for children will be banned. And, John, if that weren't enough, as you pointed out, on the front page of Breitbart today, Trump bought me ice cream. Biden gave me $6 (laughs) gas. (laughs) John Carney... I don't know. Trump 10, rest of the field zero. <laughs> What's your yeah. take? Look, Trump really gets the idea that <laughs> um, that Biden's presidency is imperiled by the fact that cost of that people are experiencing a cost of living crisis. He hits that, you know, right away. And he, and he you know, in his speech in Michigan last week, he did a or this week, I guess they did a great job bringing that home. And I really think this line that brought both sort of the economic crisis of our time, which is, you know, this Green New Deal nonsense that is making things more expensive for everyone and the cultural crisis of our time together in just one sentence. You'll be able to drive a gas powered car and we won't be doing sex changes on children. That's so great. He brought it right together. And, you know, in two hours of debate, the rest of the Republican field weren't able to put something that coherent together. I know. And I wanted to see him, you know, Reagan Library. I wanted to see, let's smash big government socialism. Let's lower taxes across the board. Let's restore free market capitalism. I mean, none of that stuff was out there. And you're right. They didn't really, I mean, the affordability issue, whether it's mortgage rates uh, or automobile loans or whatever, uh, typical families can't buy a home anymore. I mean, you, you could hear little snippets of it, but nobody really made the sale. And Charlie Hurt, um, the morning consult poll, an eight-point swing uh, for Trump after the debate. Trump went from 58 to 63, and DeSantis went from 15 to 12. What does that tell you, Charlie Hurt? I think that that debate, I, I, and, you know, a lot of people are complaining about it, but I thought it was a very clarifying debate in a lot of ways. And it was really bad for all the, everybody that was on that stage. Um, they, you know, they came armed with their canned one-liners and 
uh, and they and they all come off like like and, and then even then you know they don't do their one liners very well. And it's so interesting because you look at a guy like Trump, and Trump is like the opposite of the one liner guy. He's got great one liners, but man, he comes up with them on the fly. And you know he's a guy that gives these sometimes far too long two hour speeches. But the people in the room are engaged for the entire two hours because he has a vision and he's got a force. And he's got he's he's he knows what he wants to do. And it, it's like he's, you know, with, with a lot of these other candidates, it's like they're playing defense all the time and they're just trying to play it safe. And, you know, for a guy like, you know, the, if there's no, no other lesson we've learned from Trump, it, it's that, you know, when when you're negotiating, you have to be willing to walk away from it all. And Trump is one of those guys who, uh, you know, he, he, he is not afraid to uh, take those chances and, and uh, gamble everything for what it is that he believes in. And I think that's what I think that's what Republican voters and, and increasingly, I think that's what regular vote, you know, not, you know, across the board voters. You want know, to Trump, see in a president. Trump speaks in bold colors. The mm-hmm. others speak in pastels. I mean, that's I yeah. don't, somebody said that years ago. I can't remember. I think it had it was during the Reagan era. But you see it again. I mean, you, little snippets of the truth, quote unquote, from the debaters, uh, little snippets, whereas Trump deals with it head on. He just slams it. I mean, that's, uh, you know, Trump's always called Biden socialist or communist. OK, I don't think Biden's a communist. I do think he's turned socialist. But nobody t- I don't think that those words were ever used in that debate. I mean, there was, nobody slammed him, Charlie. You want to see a slam. I mean, this is in the Reagan library. Reagan was a great slammer, okay? And yeah. Trump was a great slammer. These guys, they're like bunters. You know, they're, they're, they want ground balls to third base. <laughs> Reagan has, so whether you like it or not, about, and whether in, this is, and whether it's just, sorry, I was just going to say, Reagan has so many good lines about inflation. All yeah. you had to do was Google, like, Reagan and inflation, and you should have brought that to the Reagan library, right? That, that is the place... <laughs> One of my favorite lines is where Ronald Reagan says, how come when people spend the money, it's inflationary, but when government spends it, it's not, right? Just, yeah. That's a great yeah. line. Yeah. Where was this? Why weren't they quoting Reagan? It's terrible that they weren't. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's all true. So, Charlie, uh, why have another debate? I mean, what are we going to learn from a third debate? I mean, NBC is going to have it, uh, when is it, November, December? Um Trump's already said he's not going to be in the debate. Why would he? Uh, Newt Gingrich yeah. was on our show, and he was on Laura Ingram later on, saying, you know, let's just ban behind Trump, beat Biden. I mean, I know debates yeah. aren't elections, and I know polls aren't votes, but really? I mean, we have to suffer through a third debate? Oh, my God. Yeah, and I think at this point it really is becoming the kind of thing that is it's like their vice presidential debate. Um, and, uh, but I, but I also think that they're not at, at some point, they're really not actually, uh, illuminating even that all that much because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, uh, you know, Trump will pick or whoever the nominee winds up being will pick whoever they, wh- whoever, you know, it, that, that's not necessarily a popularity contest as much as it is. They're going to, he's going to make a decision about who it is that helps him. And for all we know, you know, Doug Burgum might be the best mm. vice presidential choice mm. uh, out of the people up there just because he's a serious guy. He's got a gr- tremendous private background in, in private business. 
Um, he knows what it's like to hire people and make and, and actually create jobs because government never creates jobs. Um, and, you know, he, he understands all of that. And so, may, you know, who knows? Maybe he wants it. But he's not going to. But Doug Burgum, a very serious dude, is not going to get uh, the spotlight in a on a debate stage with seven people um, arguing back and forth uh, with their little canned, poorly delivered one liners. And John Carney, uh, the inflation's not over and you're looking at a hundred dollar barrel of oil and you're looking at four or five dollars a gallon of gas. And the inflation report came out this uh, this week showing that we're going to have high inflation for a while. We're going to have high interest rates for a while. Uh, Actually, none of these candidates really spoke to that point either. That's right. Actually, again, to get back, they were in the Reagan library. Reagan talked about the, the difficulty that high interest rates impose upon uh, the American dream, frankly, about people wanting to own a home and how difficult it makes it and how that's caused by inflation running too high. And so we didn't hear that from any of the candidates. I think, by the way, if they have another debate that Trump's going to win by acclamation, right? How high can they push the polls up? Like, he can't go above 100%, I guess. So, you know, he'll get capped out there. But, yeah, no, they should have been talking about affordability. Um, Biden, by the way, a great thing that came out just this week, Biden wants to pour subsidies into home building. You know, not great to just be doing that. But, fine, I understand, you know, homes are unaffordable. But it's only for homes that are going to be Green New Deal homes. Right? So in other words, they're, they're, they're again trying to control the outcome of the housing market to, to advance their agenda rather than looking at the real problem, which is housing affordability in the United States. That's a problem. They're saying, OK, great. We're going to use this crisis to advance our agenda. That would be a great thing for them to have hit home on. You know, hey, people need homes. The Biden administration will only allow you to get a home if it's going to be a Green New Deal home. And wait, John. It's got to be a Green New Deal home with an electric car in the driveway. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, that is what the the, the strain that they're going to put, by the way, they want everything electrified. It's a chicken. And we don't have a grid to do it. It's a chicken in every pot and an electric car in every driveway. And an average cost of right sixty thousand dollars. On every electric stove, Larry. (laughs) That's terrific stuff. In all seriousness, though, Charlie Hurt. I, I think one problem is that there's, uh, n- there was no commander-in-chief on that debate stage. There was no right. strong commander-in-chief. There was nobody there who would inspire confidence that he or she would really be a steward of economic prosperity and a steward of national security and, you know, a steward of closing the border, et cetera, et cetera. Again, you could get snippets of it, but nothing overwhelming, no strong, really, really strong strength, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and if we haven't learned anything else over the last couple of years, we've learned that you have to have, you have to be a fierce fighter uh, in order to get mm. anything done in this rat hole. Mm. Because every at every corner, everybody is trying to stop prosperity and try to stop trying to stop freedom because that's what Washington, you know, that's what makes Washington work. And you can, and, and no matter what you think of Trump, you have to admit the guy's a fighter. He's a fierce, ferocious fighter mm-hmm. and he fights for what he believes in and he fights for, for uh, what, what, what he, you know, what he knows is right. And none of those people upon that stage uh, do that. And I, and, and I love that. I love his answer uh, a couple of weeks ago. Somebody asked him to you know, talk about speaking in bold colors. 
um, asked him what he would do about inflation, and he said, simple, drill, baby, drill. Yes, and, yes. And it's the only answer for a lot of reasons, not only, yes. and I, you know, you're, you're, you understand economics far better than I ever would, but, but, you know, not only is it a good economic answer, but it's also um, a fierce defense of the oil and gas industry, which, you know, this lunacy about this new religion, it's, it's actually socialism, it's communism with a new face on it, this mm-hmm. environmental wackoism, religion, uh, th- this idea that somehow or another uh, oil and gas is bad mm-hmm. when it has done more than anything else on the planet, any other element, to lift people out of poverty, to give people food, to help people see, to give them health care. The, oil and gas has done everything. For Every advancement has been because of oil and gas. And yes. there's only one guy up there fiercely defending it. And these jackasses who run around in their little electric cars, you know, in America, those electric cars are fueled 20% by coal. That's more <laughs> coal than my car, my truck, has ever burned. Yeah. And and so I don't want to get a lecture from you about clean fuels, and and we're not going to get to this wind, you know, unicorn fantasy land anytime soon. And why should we when we have this wonderful element of fuel and we have the most abundant re- reserves of it in this country that provides freedom and uh, comfort and, uh, and and livelihood. For so many people, and Trump is the only one defending it. You know, John Carney, I interviewed Trump a couple of weeks ago, and the very first thing I went to was his uh, CNN debate when he, you know, how do you conquer inflation? He just went drill, baby, drill. And I think, <laughs> I mean, and I played the soundbite of him saying that, and then he went on to say, by the way, and you know, low taxes and uh, no uh, cut back on regulations it was right there was a was a platform for economic growth and prosperity and that and nobody else could say that nobody else could beat that uh, anyway folks let's take a quick break i want to come back there's some news i think about uh robert f kennedy jr declaring as an independent and um, does anybody really care if the government shuts down folks we're talking to charlie hurt of the washington times a fox news contributor and uh, John Carney, the economics editor of Breitbart News and co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest, which has a cult following. Folks, I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Kudlow. We've got Charlie Hurt, Washington Times opinion editor and Fox News contributor, and John Carney, Breitbart News Editor, Economics and Finance, and co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest. Charlie, what do you make of these uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. rumors are going to run as an independent? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, uh, I think that it is a uh, certainly a testament to how much the Democrat Party is insistent on uh, make, you know, keeping the path clear for Joe Biden. Um, and uh, doing everything they can to prevent a, uh, you know, a, a, a insurrection within their own uh, party. Uh, but the fact that that uh, RFK Jr. is polling at, you know, collecting, you know, double-digit support from Democrats also shows how weak uh, Joe Biden is within the party. 
and how much discontent there is within the party. That said, I think it's, you know, obviously, if he runs as an independent, it is going to be absolutely devastating to uh, Joe Biden. But, you know, he is, in a lot of ways, a Democrat version of Donald Trump in 2016 in terms of his willingness to say things that nobody else is saying. Um, I think that, it's, it, you know, I think it's very possible that he winds up actually collecting um, a, a couple of Trump supporters. Um, but I think ultimately it's going to be far more devastating for for uh, Joe Biden. Yeah, you know, John Carney, uh, we had dinner with him a few weeks ago, Committee to Unleash Prosperity Dinner. Uh, Art Laffer sponsored him, and... Um, He's an interesting guy. I mean, he's he's no conservative, but he's not a far out liberal either. Um, he's against you know COVID, against the shutdowns. He also is against the deep state. He talks a lot about that, which is a Trumpian uh, theme, John. And I just I think Charlie's right. He's probably hurts he hurts Biden more, but he'll take some votes away from Trump as well. John, have you written, I don't know if you've written about this or, or Breitbart has written about who he hurts more. I think he hurts Biden more, but it's, there's definitely a toss up there because a lot of people want to vote against Biden. And if there's no third party candidate that goes to whoever the Republican is, when you introduce a third party candidate, it's always a question. I remember when Ross Perot ran, Mm. uh, you know, there, there was a question of, does he hurt Clinton? It, it turns out he probably hurt Clinton, even though Clinton ended up winning the election against George H.W. Bush. The or sorry, it wasn't just uh, against Bush. Dole, um, but um, and George H.W. So um, the the history there is that the third party candidate can take away from the protest vote against the incumbent. One of the things I'd also say, though, is. You're absolutely right. I read a fabulous book published just a few years ago about how good the Kennedy, the original Kennedy president was mm. when it came to taxes. <laughs> um, you might remember that one, Larry. Um, JFK and the Reagan Revolution. Cudlow book. Didn't make the best seller list, but it was a great book. Actually, it sold 16,000 copies. Not bad. <laughs> well, there you go. And, uh, so it was, no, but it was a very good book. And so we can actually, you know, he can actually look back to history and say, you know, yeah, this is, you know, this, my family has believed that tax cuts can reinvigorate the economy. And uh, so I'm, you know, I can see some positive uh, things coming from him. And I also think, look, the Democratic Party has a problem because you have Kirsten Sinema deciding, you know, she doesn't want to be a Democrat. Joe Manchin has frequently said he's thought about leaving the Democratic Party. Mm. The the hold of the extremists on the Democratic Party is so tight that anybody who isn't part of the special interest uh, woke Green New Deal group is feeling themselves literally squeezed out of the Democratic Party. Mm. So, and I think that's what's happening. Charlie, um, should we fear a government shutdown? Does anybody care if the government shuts down? Um, I think that we're probably going to get a government shutdown, uh, but we knew we were going to get a government shutdown from the moment that Kevin McCarthy became speaker. Um, <laughs> the only question is whether Republicans have the courage to make it about something and win on that something, because they're going to be blamed for it. They always get blamed for it, no matter how unfair that is and no matter how much. You know, let's not forget, 
you know, the founders very purposefully gave the House primary control over all spending mm-hmm. and all taxation because they wanted the people, the, the representatives in Washington, who were closest to the people who faced the wrath of voters every two years to be the ones, the only people who could originate taxation bills and spending bills. And so the notion that Democrats have an upper hand over the House of Representatives when it comes to spending is absurd in the, in the, in the wildest absurdity. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I, I urge, and if you look back over time, every time there's been a government shutdown, Republicans get blamed for it. Yeah. If you look at, if you go back and look at every election after a government shutdown in which Republicans were blamed, Republicans either do better or don't do that badly. Yeah. And um, yeah. and and so my my urging to Kevin McCarthy and Republicans in the House make this about something. Make yeah. it about the border. And if you make it about the border, win on the bigger issue. Yeah, I like that. That's very good. All right, kids. Thanks ever so. Charlie Hurd of the Washington Times and Fox News and John Carney of Breitbart. Terrific stuff. And Donald Trump wins the debate by not showing up on the stage. I'm Kudlow. Folks, we're going to take a break. On the other side of the break, Senator Kevin Kramer will join us to talk with me about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm Kudlow. Please stay with us. Back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. And we're bringing in our great friend, Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, to talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank you, Mr. Kramer. We appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. So i got a couple things for you today. Sure. Let me start out with uh, a news item that's a little got a little bit buried with the debate and the shutdown and the oversight committee and all the rest of it. But um, Joe Biden is allowing, as I understand it, three leases in the Gulf of Mexico uh, for oil and gas drilling, which would be the smallest amount in history. And I didn't want to let this go. Uh, I know you're an expert on energy. Um, You know, he's basically frozen drilling in Alaska, frozen Mm -hmm. drilling in New Mexico, frozen drilling in the Gulf. And now this lease business, by law, I guess you have to, do something. I mean, right. this is part of his crazy Green New Deal stuff, is it? Is it not? And and what's what's going to become of this story? So, first of all, good catch, Larry. Thanks for catching it in the middle of all this other all mm. this other chaos going on in Washington, Washington, because it's directly related to the Green New Deal. In fact, in the, in the case of offshore oil and gas leasing, it's literally part of the Inflation Reduction Act. And what I mean by that is. It's, it was a bit of a compromise to the degree there was any compromise in the IRA that allows this, these up to three oil and gas leases in the Gulf of Mexico, but none in Alaska, to your mm. point. Mm. In Alaska, by the way, which has incredible oil reserves and has been off, you know, off limits to the, the greenies forever, um, is not part of the deal. So you're right, it's the minimum that they can get by with, and it's, it, it, it's, 
the, this plan includes uh, sales in, in 2025, 2027, and 2029 in the Gulf of Mexico. And that's not simply arbitrary. The, this is the minimum intervals required by the IRA for the administration to pre- perform offshore leasing for wind energy. Okay? Mm. So, in other words, the, the whole plan is really designed around wind, but they have to do this is the minimum that's allowed. Interestingly, there's not a lot of interest in wind on the Gulf of Mexico, and that shouldn't surprise anybody. It's not a great wind resource. Um, but as you and I have talked many times about, um, when we talk about permitting reform and our friend Joe Manchin, and, and he's, it, to the degree there's anything good in anything that the Democrats do, it generally comes from Joe Manchin, particularly in the energy sector. When you talk about regulatory permitting reform, for example, um, the reason that Democrats will even talk to us about permitting reform is because they've figured out that it's just as hard to cite something offshore that generates wind energy as it does a, a, a oh, um, an oil rig, right? right. So this thing mm-hmm. is really literally caught up in that. This is the bare minimum. It's the least in American history. And by the way, it's consistent with what they've done with no leases on federal lands in, turn, in, in the inner United States, including places like North Dakota, which, of course, a judge ruled to be unconstitutional and illegal. You know, they um, went after New Mexico, right? I mean, they're going to stop everything in New Mexico, despite the fact that the native tribes would prefer it. They, native right. tribes want the jobs, but Deb sure. Howland to the Interior Department and the White House and so forth don't want to allow any leases there. I mean, they want to stop drilling in New Mexico. Right. So New Mexico is an interesting case because, of course, I hate to admit this, but in recent years, um, you know, after the pandemic and the and the crash, and you and I could write a book about what Saudi Arabia did to us during those times. Um, New Mexico actually passed North Dakota as the second leading oil producing state in the country. Oh. Right, but North Dakota is creeping its way back. We we gained another hundred thousand barrels per day uh, over the last year, and we're up to one point two million barrels per day after a peak of one and a half um, prior to the pandemic. Well, New Mexico, the biggest difference between New Mexico and North Dakota is New Mexico is a largely a federal lands state. So the, mm. their landlord is Joe Biden and Deb mm. Holland, and they hate oil and gas. Um, and to the degree they even get to keep any, it's probably because they have a Democratic governor and Democratic senators, Democratic mm-hmm. congressmen. Um, so it'll be an interesting battle to see wh- how the politics plays out in New Mexico. But right next door, of course, you've got you know the the, the big Kahuna, Texas, which is like North Dakota, um, a lot of oil, and it's not a lot of federal land. In mm-hmm. uh, you know, to the degree we have some, and and by the way, where New Mexico and North Dakota are similar is the heart of the Bakken is on an Indian reservation. The uh, Mandan Hidatsa Rikara Nation um, benefits tremendously as as individuals, as a tribe, as as mm-hmm. its own government from oil and gas production in North Dakota, and uh, so it it pits. It pits um, allies and adversaries, frankly, um, against the, the same federal government. The, the allies and the adversaries being uh, their non-traditional allies, should I say, uh, to, to Democrats. Well, um, as oil approaches a hundred dollars a barrel, mm-hmm. and you know how the OPEC plus Russia, Saudis, mm-hmm. Venezuela, Iran, as they cut back on production. Now, people are saying, uh, Senator Kramer, that. Uh, we are short worldwide now uh, three, four million barrels a day, right. roughly. Okay, and we're still producing at the USA 
about 12 million barrels a day plus. Mm -hmm. We got 13 million pre-pandemic. I mean, we should be at 15, 16 million. At a minimum. At a minimum. Actually, that's uh, Kevin O'Leary of Shark Tanks need to get to 18 million barrels a day. Mm -hmm. Now, we're not going to get there, obviously, with this Green New Deal stuff. And so, therefore, high oil prices will keep inflation and interest rates high. I mean, this is a self-defeating policy. It definitely is, Larry. And I, there, energy of all things, you, you know, one of the great um, ironies, I think, in, in economic um, sort of newsmaking, if you will, and, and, and communication is this idea of, quote, core inflation. And core inflation doesn't include energy no. and food. The yeah. two things that are core, you know, it's like yeah. the craziest thing Absolutely. in the world. Right? Absolutely. And so when you have $100 a barrel oil, it, 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 it all because, because, not because there's not an adequate supply, but because this administration won't let us get the adequate supply. And by the way, we do it more efficiently in the United States of America. We do it cleaner in the United States of America. So Kevin O'Leary is probably right when he says it sh- we should be at 18, not you know 12 or 13 or even 14 or 15. And why? And, and the reason is because we should be producing for the world, not just for the United States, but for the world. Um, now, I'm going to throw another one out there, Larry, and this sometimes gets me in trouble with some of our, our favorite oil people and you know the the big multinationals but we ought to be trying to convert more of our refineries that are designed for heavy sour crude that comes from places like Saudi Arabia we ought to try to convert more of those to take light sweet crude that comes from places like Texas and North Dakota and and become even more energy independent and more energy dominant um, but we have an administration that works against the supply side of the economy which adds to the cost of everything and then they wonder why inflation doesn't come down more you know either more rapidly or more consistently no no I think you're right our homegrown oil is better we need more refineries uh, absolutely we need more LNG uh, yes. production everywhere and so yeah no this is the stuff we should be doing we're these are self-inflicted wounds going on, and you're right. Uh, petroleum refined products permeate the economy. Hundreds of prices. I mean, all the way from food and fertilizer uh, mm-hmm. through eyeglasses, through MRIs, through emergency rooms and hospitals. That's all petroleum-based stuff that they do, and nobody yes. understands that. I mean, nobody's. Nope. Few people understand right. that, and politicians don't understand that in Washington. I get it. Senator, let me uh, switch uh, gears a bit. Um, we're going to have a shutdown, I reckon. Uh, what's going on in the Senate side on the shutdown? Mm-hmm. So the Senate, of course, remembering that as per our Constitution, appropriations have to begin in the House. The Senate has Just 30 a, seconds. Yeah, we have an FAA bill that we're trying to put a, a proposal on. Well, here's what I'm advocating for, and I hope we can get there. A clean CR with maybe disaster relief in it. No Ukraine aid. We have to have a bigger family discussion about that, mm. and we need to get there. But we need to keep this simple, make it for 45 days, and uh, pass it as fast as we can, send it over. Over, back over to the House, and I think that at that point, Kevin McCarthy has a tool he can put on the table, and, it, and the Gates crowd won't like it, 
But I don't mm-hmm. think it's, you know, a handful of Republicans voting with every Democrat is exactly a conservative plan. Right. I think we need, you know, we need to do what we can to get the government, keep the government open or get it open as quickly as we can so we can negotiate the bigger, more important deals that we should have been, by the way, negotiating in May and June and July and August and, uh, and September. All right. Senator Kevin Kramer of uh, North Dakota, thank you, sir. Appreciate it, as always. Folks, take a quick break. And Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst, going to come on. What's going on with the Oversight Committee? And by the way, does the shutdown affect the Oversight Committee? I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Now back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I want to review the meeting of the Oversight Committee the formal opening of the impeachment inquiry in the House, led by Chairman uh, Jamie Comer. So nobody better is our pal Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst, and also the best-selling author of The Trial of the Century, The Scopes Monkey Trial, Clarence Darrow versus William Jennings Bryan. Greg Jarrett, thank you for coming on. What happened uh, with the Republican debate and the shutdown and all kinds of things kind of got lost in the shuffle. So what happened in this uh, oversight meeting? Well, Republicans put forth uh, law professors and other experts to explain the constitutional framework of an impeachment inquiry, the basis for it. And the question was, is there a threshold level that has been met already to open the impeachment inquiry? And the answer was yes. Uh, Jonathan Turley, uh, two other experts, agreed there's more than sufficient evidence to open the inquiry. Uh, You know, Democrats were howling, you're not fact witnesses, you're not fact witnesses, where are they? They don't understand how an impeachment inquiry works. Most of them are neophytes. Um, And it's not uncommon, it's quite typical to begin an inquiry by calling the experts to ask the question, is this warranted? Um, and we received the answer. So I think forthcoming will be more substantive evidence with fact witnesses and documentary uh, evidence to show that you know there may have been wrongdoing by the President of the United States. And Greg, um, I thought I read that um, that uh, Chairman Comer is going to call Hunter Biden as going to subpoena Hunter Biden going to subpoena James Biden. Is that true? Yes, literally hours after the hearing ended, uh, they issued subpoenas for James Biden, the president's brother, and Hunter Biden, his son's uh, records, uh, banking records, and, you know, other documentary evidence like emails and texts and so forth. Um, And, you know, their goal is to determine whether there is serious evidence of influence peddling that would constitute bribery, conspiracy, obstruction, money laundering, FARA violations, and abuse of power uh, sufficient to impeach the president. They're not there yet, uh, but they want to know whether Joe Biden was complicit, aiding and abetting his son's corrupt schemes. Mm. So when Hunter refuses to appear before the committee, can they throw him in jail? How's this going to work? <laughs> well, they have to go to the Department of Justice to enforce the subpoena. But yeah. since this is not merely the average run-of-the-mill committee, 
seeking enforcement, it, it is of a higher level. Um, what uh, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker, has called the apex of power, and that gives them more juice in front of a court uh, to force these documents and testimony. So do you think, uh, you think Merrick Garland's Justice Department will execute this subpoena? Well, that's an open question, uh, given his track record of covering up for Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, running a protection racket to insulate them uh, from the crimes they appear to have committed. Uh, we, we just don't know what he'll do. I mean, if he, if he honors the Constitution and has fidelity to the law, he will enforce those subpoenas. Aren't you impressed with my whole non-lawyerly knowledge that the, the DOJ has to execute this? I mean, I'm, <laughs> I what do impressed. I know? I don't know anything. <laughs> yes, you do. You know quite a bit. and uh, <laughs> I, know it. I know it because you've tutored me for the past year on this stuff. But in all honesty, uh, you know, Comer is right, I think, Greg, to go after these bank records, right? I mean, isn't yeah. that the key? And sure. So... Whether Hunter Biden appears or not, or James Biden, uh, they have ways and means of getting their hands on more and more bank records, because I think that is going to be the key to the whole story. Yeah, absolutely. Already they have wire transfer uh, suspicious activity reports from banks that show $24 million, uh was funneled through tw- 20 shell companies controlled by Hunter Biden. Some of that cash distributed to Biden family members. And a large portion of it came from China immediately after Hunter flew with his father to Beijing on Air Force Two, where both of them met with the son's new partners. There are emails, text messages. Hunter is demanding payments by referencing his father sitting next to him mm. and issuing, issuing threats. Days later, $5 million is wired to Hunter's company. So, you know, there, there are a lot of questions here, but there is a growing uh, mountain of evidence that the big guy was slated to receive some of the profits. What's the, yes, and let me go to the Burisma side of this story with the allegation that um, $5 million went to Papa and $5 million went to Hunter in order to throw out the prosecutor Shokin, et cetera, et cetera. We, that's been around now for quite some time, but no one's been able to really get their arms around it to prove it. And I just wonder, what do they have to do here? I mean, if money, if money was wired or transacted, Greg Jarrett, um, somebody should be able to find that someplace, shouldn't they? Uh I agree, unless there was money deposited into a money laundering operation. Oh, oh. Uh, you know, when you, when you put money from overseas sources into a shell company and you move it around from one to another to another to another, mm. uh, you know, it really takes a skilled forensic accountant to be able to track it down. I mean, that's right. the whole purpose of laundering money to disguise the source, which is why it's a crime. And we do know that you know millions and millions of dollars yeah. uh, from overseas transactions, Hunter yeah. Biden never paid taxes on it, which is fraud and tax there evasion. That's right. That's And that's going to be an important avenue, too. Okay, Greg Jarrett, 
Fox News legal analyst and um, trial of the century, folks. Great books. If you haven't read it already, go out and get it on Amazon.com. Thank you, Greg. We're going to take a quick break. And my dear pal, Grover Norquist, why didn't the Republican debaters talk tax cuts, for heaven's sakes? Supply-side tax cuts. My family would be as happy as they are without the support that I received from Paralyzed Veterans of America. Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them. To learn more, go to pva.org today. If you're talking, they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. So talk, hey, you can do it if you try. One million people. That's how many people go blind each year. That's a staggering number. Hi, I'm Randall Lavolio, President and CEO of Sea International. By the end of this year, one million men, women, and children will have gone blind. 285 million people worldwide are visually impaired, and 90% of them live in developing countries. Here's an even more sobering fact. Every 60 seconds, somewhere in the world, a child goes blind. They will live their lives unable to see the beautiful world around them if they don't get the treatment they need. Yet 80% of all these cases could have been prevented or treated. The only thing they lack is access to proper eye care. Sea International is a Santa Barbara-based nonprofit dedicated to getting them that care. All it takes is about $100 to restore someone's sight and transform their life forever. For more information, go to our website at seainternational.org. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips that you plan in advance, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends for which you make a group chat three months before so that nobody or anything is missing. Or your daughter's first birthday party. You planned it with such dedication that instead of the first, it felt like our quince's. The same way you plan each detail for those moments. Start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit and make a family communications plan. Protecting your family is the best plan you can make. Get started at ready.gov slash plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We can talk to my very dear pal, Grover Norquist, founder and president of Americans for Tax Reform. Grover, welcome. 
So as we were talking on the TV show, the word tax cut hardly appeared at all in a two-hour Republican debate in the Ronald Reagan Library, for heaven's sakes. Why didn't they all talk about slashing tax rates? I mean, I don't even think anybody said, let's, let's make the Trump tax cuts permanent. I mean, there was nothing here. You want growth? You want to end big government socialism? Lower tax rates. But it didn't happen. Why not? Well, one, the, they didn't ask the question, uh, uh, the, the folks <laughs> right. running it. Uh, and that happened in, in, in both debates. And Republicans just need to understand that whoever runs the debate, they're doing it because they want to be well-known and thought of as clever. Uh, and that means gotcha questions. It does not mean setting up something where everybody could say, what would your tax plan be? Okay. Mm -hmm. Nobody goes, oh, what a brilliant uh, person that's moderated that debate, because it's all about the candidates, which is what it should be about. That said, there are a number of things that stare people in the eye. Trump and the Republicans wanted to go to 15 percent corporate income tax. It was at 35. It's hard to believe that. But we used to have the worst, highest uh, corporate income tax in the world, stupider than France is not where you want to be, but we were. Uh, and we took that down to 21. That was helpful. That was good. That made us vaguely competitive. Okay. But because we have state uh, corporate income taxes, we're still above China and some of the other countries when we shouldn't be. Uh, we had to take that down to 14. And the reason I say 14 instead of 15 is that Biden had put in a minimum tax at 15. Nobody wants to make that permanent or even give it any credibility. And the European Union wants to have a, an OPEC, you know, like a, a cartel of tax collecting states. We all agree no one will cut taxes below 15 percent. That's the number they have, 15. So we want to make it very clear. We are not going to let the European Union or Brussels or France or anybody tell us what our tax rates are. The British tried that once and it didn't work out well for them. Mm-hmm. And the other ch- thing here is we want to compete in the world on lower taxes and less costly government regulation. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to compete on. I don't want to compete on lower wages, which is the alternative to reducing the cost of government. You know, all this is so true. Uh, and these candidates could have pivoted if they wanted to, but it just, you know, to a tax cutting program, but um, none of them saw fit to do it. It's interesting, Grover, you know, at every campaign stop, Trump talks about cutting taxes. I mean, he's saying we're going to extend the Trump tax cuts as a minimum and then go further. So they could have gone, you know, we could have had like a three point plan. The other thing, you know, you mentioned Europe, um, they want a digital sales tax or something. And, Again, we shouldn't allow the Europeans to tax American companies. Only, you know, American America's Congress can tax companies. But that's another one. I mean, they're going after our big uh, tech companies overseas. This is something that the Republicans fought and Trump fought, allowing them to tax our largest and most successful uh, international companies in, in the digital era. And Biden agreed to allow them to tax income of American firms in America in order to be nice. So that the Europe, this is why the European the cognizante always says nice things about the Democratic president, because they give away stuff for free. 
And they get irritated when Trump says, you know, perhaps you should pay a little bit for your national defense uh, and perhaps you should not be trying to loot American companies. How about that? And they find that pushy. Um, But Biden, they find very easy to work with because it comes at the expense of American companies. We invent new industries. Europeans invent new taxes. They can keep them there. We don't want them. And Grover, to your point on the TV show uh, last week. Yeah. All the states are cutting taxes. Nobody has pushed this harder or chronicle it better than you have. These state tax cuts, are they're proliferating. Why? Because they're popular. But again, none of the candidates on the stage saw fit to talk about that. Which is funny because a number of the people come from, from the states, a number of the people running governors, former governors. In Washington, D.C., uh, you know, you have a, you can't get anything done because the Republicans have the House and the Democrats have the Senate. Any good tax cut doesn't get done. But at the state level, there are 25 states with a Republican governor in both houses or the Republicans have enough votes to override a Democratic uh, veto in uh in a number of states, uh, Kansas and North Carolina and Kentucky, for instance, we have 12 states with Republican governors and legislatures moving to zero. And other states are are moving to a flat rate tax first, and then they want to go to zero. Mm -hmm. Georgia and Iowa Mm -hmm. will both be at a flat rate tax. They passed the law to do that. Iowa says, by the way, we're going to zero. We're going to come back in January, February and start a plan to go exactly to zero over the next uh, several years. And, in North Carolina, which has been doing it the longest, they've grown every single year that they cut taxes. Not that the economy grows, revenue comes in, and they cut taxes further. It's been very, very helpful, and it's a great model. And again, Arizona is down to 2.5%. They want to go to zero from there. Uh, Ohio's moved to two rates, to down from five, uh, and they're looking to go to one rate and then to, uh, to zero. Uh, Iowa and Nebraska next door both going single rate and then to zero. So we have some real opportunities. I was just talking to the uh, next speaker uh, in Utah. They want to take their rate down uh, as well. They have a single rate uh, in in Utah. So this is a winning issue for Republicans all across the country. And the Democrats in New York and uh, California uh, have stopped raising the top marginal tax rate. The politics of envy, they realize they lose more people and more money, and they have to tell their legislature, shh, quit, they'll all leave, you idiot, stop doing this. Uh, they haven't started cutting taxes, but they'll get there when the pressure from the red states becomes enough. I mean, really, again, uh, the candidates on the stage in the debate should have talked about this. I mean, they just should have referred to it. I mean, I mean Grover, what's your, what's your thinking on the federal level You've got um, 37% top tax rate. Biden tried to go after that in Build Back Better, but he couldn't get it. He did get, as you noted earlier, he did get uh, a corporate minimum tax. Uh, by the way, the, the book value of the corporate minimum tax, which makes it even worse. Um, the expensing provisions are phasing down 20%. Uh, that's already begun. So there's plenty of openings for these candidates. But in ter- what is your thinking uh, for reform of the federal income tax? Well, we want to get towards a single rate tax. And one of the reasons it's exciting that there are seven states 
with no income tax. So that's a flat rate of zero. Twelve, it has a flat rate. So that's that's uh, 19 states have a single rate tax. Another two are definitely on track to get there. And there are another 10 moving in that direction. So at the state level, it's clear that voters like a single rate tax, a flat rate tax. The mm-hmm. left acts as if there's some consensus for a graduated or progressive tax. That's just not true. In Illinois, deep blue Illinois, uh, same day that uh, uh, Biden won the presidency by about uh, 16 points, by nine points, people voted down, moving away from their constitutional requirement for a single rate tax. So Illinois said, we want a single rate tax. We don't want to be divided into different groups and mugged one at a time. That's the whole point of a graduated or progressive income tax. You can go, oh, I'm just going to hit these guys. The rest of you pay no attention. Then you come back and you get the other guys one at a time. So what we should move towards it at the federal level. At the federal level, yes. We should and collapse the, the, collapse yes. the Take the rates down. I mean, I'm just uh, saying, and, yeah, right. Collapse the, we, collapse the brackets and get the rates down. We had a twenty, as you know, twenty-seven percent top rate under uh, the Reagan reforms. Bush unfortunately broke right. that, and the Democrats have worked their way up each time. Uh, but it cost Bush the presidency, so it could be a little bit of a reminder to people how powerful that issue is. And people don't like high marginal tax rates, even on other people. And small businesses pay the personal income tax. Isn't that important? Yes. Here? Yes. And most most of the money that comes in is from small unincorporated companies, small as in not General Motors. Uh, and we need to take that top individual rate down because that is a tremendous uh, boost for businesses that are pastors or subchapter S's where they pay the personal income tax instead of the corporate uh, income tax. So we need to think more about that as a pro-growth tax instead of just a you know, getting rid of the, the hate and envy part of it that right. goes to individuals. It is a pro-growth tax cut. Right. All right. That is really key, Grover, that, that, just what you just said. I mean, if you're going to go to a 15% corporate tax, why not seek a 15% income tax, cor- uh, individual income tax, which would be paid we, by small business. So it's a level playing field, and you'd have terrific incentives uh, to produce. I mean, I think that's something to strive for. Anyway, Grover, I got to run. Grover Norquist, folks, the founder and the president of Americans for Tax Reform. Nobody knows it better or has done it better. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to bring in a golden oldie, my old pal Jim Petakoukas, who's got a new book about the next future for America. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Well, folks, we have a golden oldie here. My pal, James <laughs> Pethokoukas, a.k.a. Jimmy P., Senior Fellow and Policy Analyst at American Enterprise Institute. That doesn't really do it justice, what he's done down through the years. He's got a new book out called Conservative Futurist, How to Create the Sci-Fi World We Were Promised. First of all, Jimmy P., how are you, my friend? Uh, Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I am glad that you did not float away in the rains uh, in New York. (laughs) I know. It's it's really... (laughs) I'm glad you're here. 
Yes, I I floated <laughs> my saintly wife and I and our dog. We floated up to Connecticut, but we are here surviving <laughs> the rains. So, uh, Jimmy, um, I don't have the book yet, but um, I've re- read a little bit about it. Uh, how to create the sci-fi world we were promised. I mean, basically, I know you down through the years. You are an optimist uh, in a world of pessimism, I guess. But give us a quick, uh, quick take on this book. This is you're looking for scientific and technological breakthroughs. Um, I'm just going to speculate. You know, of the kind we had in the industrial revolution, of the kind we had in the information revolution. Uh, that makes America and its uh, and its citizenry much more prosperous. That's what you're looking for. Uh, it is. I mean, I think broadly, I mean, sort of the vision of the book, if I can be a little highfalutin here, is is a, is a vision of the future that embraces rapid technological progress and economic growth, while, and this is important, is grounded in conservative principles, limited government, free markets, social mobility. And the goal is to use innovation and kind of a techno-capitalism to create material abundance and expand human potential. I think we have an unbelievable moment here with what we're seeing with AI and some real important nuclear energy breakthroughs and what we're seeing with SpaceX, these reusable rockets, to really create an America of abundance and prosperity and to make sure we have a the 21st century is another American century. I think we're at a great moment here, and I do not want to miss it or waste it. Yeah, you know, I love that techno, techno capitalism. Uh, I mean, I don't look at Jimmy. I don't know enough about it, really. The AI revolution, um, you know, quantum computing, and all the rest of it. I know a tiny bit about it, but why should we fear those kinds of breakthroughs? Why not harness them for great purposes? I tell you, it, to me, the fact that we had this huge announcement, announcement last November about this AI breakthrough, chat GPT, generative AI, and we got to enjoy it for about 30 minutes. <laughs> then immediately it was, it's going to take all the jobs, and when it's mm. done taking the jobs, it's going to kill us all. And I've been trying to write, and I write this in my newsletter as well, called Faster Please, about the huge positive economic impact it can have. Let me give you an alternate scenario. Instead of it being OpenAI, a company funded by Microsoft and run by Sam Altman from Chicago, Illinois, Hmm. what if the announcement about AI was made by Huawei or Tencent or Alibaba or some other Chinese tech company? What would have been our reaction last November? What if we were the country that was behind not China. It would have been a Sputnik moment. Hmm. Uh, that's all we would be talking about. I'm glad we are ahead in AI, but I want to make sure we have the kind of public policies that will encourage these technologies and others, and I think really create an economy, again, I think way more productive, way more abundant for everybody than anybody's currently talking about right now. So is the Biden administration standing in the way of this stuff? I'll tell you, here's what's super interesting is that you know, it has this big energy transition idea, clean energy, and they want to they build factories to make windmills and solar panels. They're spending tons of money. And then they found out they can't get any of it built. 
They can't get any of it built because of regulations, many of which stem from back in the 70s when sort of the real kind of crazy environmentalists began to become influential. And now they have a problem. And th- this is, I mean, just to give you a very specific example, one thing that happened you know, during, during the Trump administration where there was some modest reforms on some of this environmental regulation, Biden has reversed those minor reforms. Right. Listen, you can have a lot of big ideas. And you can say the easiest thing in the world is to cut a check. But to actually make it happen, you have to have an economy where people are allowed to build things, and it doesn't take them 30 years to get all the permits. Just one example. Uh, A super disappointing. Listen, the Biden administration, they love talking about energy and productivity. That's all great, and I like that they're pro-nuclear. But when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, they are not doing what it would take, really, to to make that future happen. You know, Jimmy P., those minor permitting reforms came through our NEC. Uh, that was, you know, Francis Brooke uh, and uh, Andrew Ullman, myself and others, which Trump loved. You know, we wanted a ceiling. We wanted a limit of two years on any project. And we wanted, you know, one fe- one federal plan uh, so you can combine all the agencies and then you'll have one, you know, central decision maker. And they, they turned that back, Jimmy. They repealed that, which I think was a you know, huge backward step. If, if you want, if you want, if anything I've said so far sounds at all interesting and appealing, <laughs> not to be able to make those reforms, much less even more significant ones, that is an absolute gut punch. Listen, yeah. you can talk about funding this or funding that. But if it takes 30 years to build it and then the, and the price goes up by a factor of 10, it's not going to happen. It's like California's learning. You can spend a lot of money on your big high-speed rail idea, mm. but here we are like 20 years later, and like not a single foot of track has been laid. I know. It's an incredible story. You're exactly right. It's a totally incredible story. Um, so, Jimmy, what... what what where's the most promising of these sci-fi breakthroughs? I'll be, I mean, I, people again. I think people might be AI. You're going to say it, AI. But they have just begun. The most boring version of this story is that it lets us kind of do what we're doing somewhat more efficiently. Like if you're like it, it helps make customer sales reps more efficient. That mm. to me is sort of like the most boring version. The most interesting version is that it will help all kinds of scientists in a variety of fields become more productive. And that's the ballgame. If you have more productive science, that is what an economy, a, a frontier-leading economy like the American economy is built on. It's built on scientific breakthroughs turned into interesting inventions and then turned innovations that businesses can use. So, so I we think should, it will make business more productive, but also make our science more productive. Yeah, so we should turn the scientists loose, let them do what they're going to do. And it's got to be funded. Most of this stuff, it's got to be funded privately, doesn't it? It's got to be, you know, private capital formation. I, again, like that's one criticism I have the Biden administration is that they kind of think that like the private sector is over there and they kind of do whatever they do, right? Mm. And then we, but, and then it's government, government is the catalyst. Yeah. Listen, the most interesting companies in nuclear fusion AI, all private startups. 
Yeah, there you go. That's exactly right. James Fethikoukas, American Enterprise Institute. Name of the book is Conservative Futurist, How to Create the Sci-Fi World Where We Were Promised. I love it, Jimmy. Good stuff. We'll get you back on the radio because you work for that other network on TV. But it's a pleasure to hear your voice. Folks, we're going to take a break. And the other side, we're going to do some heavy-duty stock market work. High interest rates and falling stocks, not a good combination. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Great pleasure to be with you as we go to hour three. By the way, during the week, you can catch us on Fox Business Network. The name of the show is Kudlow, Monday through Friday, every day, 4 to 5 p.m. If you can't get there at 4 p.m., then just text your favorite nine-year-old, and she will teach you how to DVR the show. We do rerun the show at 7 p.m. on FBN also, if you miss it at 4 so there's really no excuse. And here, you can get us live on the Internet, live streaming on the Internet, LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com, heard all across the country, throughout the world, and the solar system, including the Milky Way, whatever the Milky Way is. I've never really understood that. I think it's a star formation. Anybody, somebody that knows the Milky Way, undoubtedly is Nancy Tengler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Laffer Tangler Investments. We're trying to find Jim LeCamp of Morgan Stanley. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. We'll just talk to Nancy Tangler for a good while. Nancy, welcome back, as always. And the front page of this morning's Wall Street Journal, uh, the stock market rally sputters in the new world of soaring bond yields. How about that for a headline? And we've got, let's see, the... S&P 500 fell 3.6% in the third quarter. And the S&P, let's see, the uh, price earnings multiple is 18 times. And they're talking about this tech stocks, particularly tech stocks uh, were down in the third quarter. Their multiples have fallen from 28 to 24, but 24 is still pretty high. The 10-year average is 18 and a half. So, you know, doesn't look that great. The S&P was off 32 points this past week. The Dow was off 456. The NAS was up 8. What do you make of it, Nancy Tengler? Interest rates versus stock multiples? Is that the deal? Yeah, so I'm going to be the optimist today, Larry. I think um, there's a, been a big flushing out in the in the market, and that, as, as a long term investor, that's always good. Mm. We saw the largest outflows in equities uh, through the 20th of the month uh, since since the fourth quarter of, of 2022, and we know what happened after that. Market had a really nice run um, until the summer of this year. So if I look at it with a little bit of perspective, you know, the, the S and P still up 11.7 percent. The, the Nasdaq's still up 26.3, despite these concerns about, quote, high interest rates. But in my investing career, I mean, these, <laughs> a five and, you know, a 5% treasury, 6% treasury, we, we were making money in stocks in that environment. And I think some of this is quarter-end, you know, rebalancing, window dressing. Some of it is the algorithms. But 
I went back and looked at Volcker's term when the prime rate peaked at 21.5%, mm-hmm. um, inflation at 14.8%. My first mortgage was 12.5%. I would have been thrilled to get a 7.5% mortgage. But even with the double-dip recession, stocks were up 362% during its term. Mm. And, and I think that gets lost on a lot of investors. I mean, I'm not saying that Chairman Powell is, is Paul Volk, Volcker, though I know he would want to be. Um, but I do think that a lot of this is short-term focused uh, and, and really piecemealing. We, we take every piece of data and the market reacts to it, and then it ends up getting revised up or down the next month anyway. So I'm pretty optimistic that earnings are going to come in okay. Um, for the third quarter, they're going to come in pretty good, I think, for the fourth quarter. We are no doubt seeing a slowdown uh, in the economy in the first half of next year. But that doesn't necessarily have to be bad for stocks. And between now and the end of the year, I think we get ourselves a rally X October. I can't tell you what's going to happen in October. Well, we got Jim LeCamp, uh, Senior VP for Morgan Stanley. Jim, the question we're kicking around in the front page of this morning's Wall Street Journal, um, rates, um, I mean, Nancy's right. Historically, there's nothing nothing crazy about a 5% uh, bond, for example, or a 5% two-year bond is four and a half, four sixty, But it's a question of going from near zero rates for 15 years to now, you know, 5%. Um, rates will stay high, maybe higher, and for longer. That's sort of the issue. And how does that affect stock market values, um, you know, focusing on the multiple. How does that affect it? And is the multiple too rich in relation to a 5% interest rate, Jim LeCamp? That's, I think, what the, that's what the question is before the House. Well, this year is that we went from monetary excess, which was too many rate cuts for too long, to fiscal excess, where we increased the money supply by 40% over a very short-term time frame. And if you look at how the market's responding to that, those areas that have benefited from the fiscal largesse from the government, you know, the, the construction, the, uh, the building of infrastructure products, et cetera, those areas are doing pretty well. The rest of the economy is not doing very well at all. And although Nancy's right about uh, this previous time frame that we, where we had higher interest rates, it really depends on when you want to draw the line. Because if you draw a line from 1968 to 1982, the stock market went everywhere but nowhere all at the same time. Uh, yeah, you started off with the Dow at 1,000. You, you had the big correction in 73.74, and then you slowly, slowly made your way back to 1,000 on the Dow in 1982. The problem now is, yeah, we're, we're probably going to get a seasonal bounce here. Uh, the market is oversold from a technical standpoint. Uh, October through April, historically, late October through April is historically our sweet spot in the market, and particularly the fourth quarter. So we could get a nice little bounce here, especially if we start to see these Treasury yields come back in a little bit, which I think we will. The bigger issue is... The market hadn't done anything this year. Yeah, it's up 11, but if you strip out six stocks, the average uh, the, the average return on the stock market would, would only be about 0.6% this year. So I think that's what we're looking at. I think we're looking at a messier market because we have a very messy 
fiscal policy. We have valuations that aren't terribly daunting, but they're sure not compelling. And you you have a very uncertain earnings picture. Credit's tightening up. The consumer's starting to lose uh, their largesse from uh, the government as well. So I think it gets kind of messy beyond uh, a fourth quarter bounce here. Um, Nancy Tangler, <clears throat> I don't think interest rates have peaked. I don't think they have. I don't think the Fed funds rate, the Fed's target rate, has peaked. And I think oil is going to throw a monkey wrench into the hopes and prayers of lower interest rates. I mean, actually, the market has been wrong about interest rates for over a year. It keeps thinking yeah. we're going to get big declines. The Fed's going to ease. Rates are going to come back down. Uh, futures markets, predictor markets, blah, blah, blah. But that hasn't happened. Um, Neil Kashkari of the Minneapolis Fed is saying the rates are going to go up. You know, sometimes he's right, sometimes he's wrong. There are no geniuses. I understand that. Crystal balls are always cloudy. I understand that. But I'm just giving an alternative scenario. Uh, the Fed funds rate goes to six, and the um, the ten year bond goes to five plus, and the economy goes into recession next year. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's that's what yeah. I think is going to happen. Yeah, we're starting to hear. I mean, uh, NextEra Energy Partners got slaughtered last week, down 20% and 20% in two days, because they announced that they had, you know, their um, borrowing costs were going up, and mm. so they were going to cut their payouts to investors. But the flip side of that, I'm, I'm not arguing that all stocks are going to go up. And, and I actually think, to Jim's point, that one of the opportunities is that this market has been very narrow, and we're finding some great companies to buy with attractive valuations, uh, that we were unable to find uh, going into 2020. And so, I mean, I'm not always optimistic. We bought puts for our clients' portfolios in February of 2020, not because we knew about the COVID bear market, but we couldn't find anything attractive. But the flip side of the higher interest rate environment for some of these large companies, like take Microsoft, who, who issued debt, put the cash on the balance sheet, their cash balances went up this last quarter from $550 million to 900 million, uh, billion, sorry, uh, no, million, sorry. Million. <laughs> early, very early. I, I barely escaped New York yesterday, guys. Um, <laughs> oh, but anyway. You swam, um, and, you swam out of New York. I swam. If you print enough money, river. it's real easy to confuse the M word with the B word because <laughs> well, the numbers just keep going up. What was the yield on US that? Government. What, what did Microsoft pay on that? What was their, what was their rate? Do you know? They were, you mean, on they're issuing their debt? Well, they yeah. Apple and Microsoft were doing it two years ago. So they were in the low 1% to 2%. Uh, they were also issuing euro bonds. But so their debt payments haven't gone up, but their cash balances have gone up. So one of the great ironies whenever the government inserts themselves is that the big get bigger, right? We saw it with the banks after Dodd-Frank. And um, I think, you know, we're going to see some of these companies are in much better shape thanks to higher interest rates, hmm. not small caps. And not some of the you know companies with no earnings. So I think there's areas to make money and to be optimistic. I don't think you you know broadly. I, I'm not super thrilled with you know indexing the S and P. I just but there I just take sectors. I just take the um, whatever the market consensus is. I do the I think the reverse. And the market <laughs> consensus for a long time uh, has been that rates are going to come down that the Fed target's going to come down, and that proved to be wrong, and that, you know, bond rates in general are going to come down. That's proven to be wrong. And I think that's still the market consensus. 
And I think people, we got to take a break, but basically, I mean, I think the energy store, energy is so important to no all doubt. this. You no know, and, and I think people are underestimating that. I know the Fed is underestimating the power of uh, energy oil prices, <clears throat> which affects food prices. Anyway, we got Jim LeCamp, Senior VP Investments at Morgan Stanley, and Nancy Tengler, CEO and CIO of Laffer Tengler. I'm Cudlow. We'll be right back with some more on the stock market. This is the Larry Cudlow Show. Larry Cudlow here. Business owners need to know about the ERC program because you may be eligible for a refund of up to $26,000 per W-2 employee if you had employees on the payroll during 2020 and 21 through a government program called the Employee Retention Credit Program, or ERC. You can qualify for ERC even if you received a PPP loan. How much money can you get back? All you need to do is visit governmentaid.com to understand if you are eligible for a refund. There are no upfront fees. They only get paid if you receive a refund. Powered by Bottom Line Concepts, that's an established company whose mission is to educate American businesses on the ERC program and help them realize cost savings. Governmentaid.com has helped thousands of companies and may be able to help you. The process of filing is complex and the team at Bottom Line has the expertise to help. It doesn't happen overnight, so get the ball rolling today. Visit governmentaid.com to understand if you are eligible for a refund. That's governmentaid.com. This is the Helium Highlight Minute, sponsored by Desert Mountain Energy, an early mover among junior explorers in the helium space. Helium has become one of the most sought-after elements on Earth, yet is now in short supply. Desert Mountain Energy has positioned itself as a leader with the world's first solar-powered processing facility and over 100,000 acres within the U.S. Southwest, known to produce some of the world's richest helium. Many high-tech applications are totally dependent on helium. Helium, now a $6.5 billion market, is projected to grow sharply. Desert Mountain Energy, with its active development program, could play a vital role in meeting helium demand for years to come. It is time to look at helium and the crucial position of Desert Mountain Energy. This Helium Highlight Minute has been sponsored by Desert Mountain Energy, U.S. trading symbol DMEHF, and in Canada, DME. Web address, DesertMountainEnergy.com. The proceeding may contain forward-looking statements which may not be realized. I'm Naheem Hines, running back for the Indianapolis Colts and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care, and they also helped kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at mda.org today. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. 
Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Our connections make powerful things happen. Uniting individuals and communities. We are Rotary. We are people of action. And together, we turn great ideas into reality by accessing our networks, our experience, and the best of ourselves to make a difference. Around the world, Rotary brings leaders together to build new friendships and to solve problems. Like in Austria, where generations work side by side to build sustainable housing and community centers. In India, volunteers run a mobile blood bank to help provide a steady blood supply for their local community. And in Taiwan, people are working hard to get vulnerable citizens the support and services they need. With over one million members, we know what people can do when they come together. Take action with us. Find out more at rotary.org slash action. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're talking to Nancy Tangler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer, Laffer Tangler Investments, and Jim LeCamp, Senior Vice President of Investments at Morgan Stanley. So, uh, Jim LeCamp, let's see. I'm just looking at this stuff. Bonds went up 14 basis points, the 10-year note 458. The 30-year was up 18 basis points. Those are pretty big moves. Then uh, crude, so West Texas was flat. It's closing at, I'm going to call it 91, and Brent was up two, so I'm closing that at 95. The other thing interesting to me, gold's gone down quite a lot. Now it's back to 1849. So I don't know what to make of that. Higher rates, lower gold, but oil energy is still strong. Nationwide, $3.82 down slightly. This energy problem is not going to go. Oil problem is not going to go away, Jim. No, it's not. They've drained completely drained the strategic petroleum reserves. The U.S. rig count is down nineteen percent. You've got companies like Exxon and Chevron saying, if you guys don't want us to produce more of this stuff, we're not going to. And so you don't have the supply response that you would normally have. And I got to tell you, if you look at the history of these past oil uh, spikes. They all culminate with the futures chasing this stuff higher. So I'm, I think this thing's going to end with a spike, and that's going to be really tough on the economy, A. B, you've got a stronger dollar, which is not going to help corporate earnings for the most part. You couple that with higher oil prices, and it is problematic. And it, what's, what's really ironic about higher oil prices is it takes money out of consumers' pockets. And if you look at retail sales 
and you strip out what they're spending at the gas stations, uh, it's already starting to hit uh, the consumer. And let's not forget, we're a 70% consumer-driven economy. So uh, I think it's a real issue for the economy. I think it's a real issue uh, eventually for the markets. Uh, but for investors, I think you can still be in this area, and I think you should be in this area. Yeah, you know, Nancy, the DXY dollar index now back to 106. Uh, <laughs> I think the the peak in this cycle is 112 or something, 113. But does that affect, I mean, I, I like a strong dollar. I always like a strong dollar. But I like a strong, stable dollar. You get these dollar wiggles, ups and downs. Does this wiggle up uh, affect earnings? Yeah, I mean, Jim's absolutely right. And I think I, I said this when I was with you on the show this week that our biggest concern is not higher interest rates. It's the rising dollar because multinationals, I mean, some oh. of them are able to hedge huh. uh, like an app, Apple. But a lot of times, you know, you get the, yeah, X currency. We were up X, but the currency has a profound impact. And so I am concerned about it. I, I probably should have let everyone know that we were at a bottom in, in uh, July, August, because that's when I went to Europe. And so everything was super expensive. <laughs> so I'm the perfect contrary indicator. But um, where'd you go? Yeah, to go to Italy? Oh uh, no, actually, uh, I went to um, Hungary and and Germany. And it, it, I, I mean, I did. I went to Italy, I and I, I love their politics Italy. there now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. This right wing woman is in, in Italy, and the EU is yeah. all pissed off. But Germany's in a recession, is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it was pretty slow, but there, I mean, there are a lot of Americans there, of course, and a lot of tourists. But yeah, it was um, it was it wasn't the best trip, I have to say. Um, but <laughs> it, you know, anyway, I guess yeah. So I am. I mean, and oil is profound in in people's heads, even more than it is in their um, mm. in their pocketbooks because we do use less. But I think one of the things that Powell did in his press conference when he said. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. I mean, that, right. that is not correct because right. it trickles through all aspects of the economy. But I think the last thing I'll say is an offset. Yep, the excess savings are gone. Yep, people are having to pay back their student loans. Um, yes, interest rates are higher. Oil prices are higher. But one of the things that we have to remember is that net worth, consumer net worth, is is at $154 trillion, and that's uh, $37 trillion above pre-pandemic levels. So, People are saving less because they don't really necessarily feel the urgency because their net worths are so high. So I, I don't think that mitigates 100 percent. I think Jim's right that, you know, consumers are going to and particularly the low end um, are feeling this and are going to feel it even more. But I, I do think there's some some mitigating factors. By the way, that net worth is an important number, often overlooked. Uh, I'll mm -hmm. call it one hundred and fifty trillion. You know, um, Everyone rails on about federal debt, and I don't like federal debt either. Uh, but federal debt at thirty-three trillion, and then you take out the interagency account. It's, I don't know what it is about twenty. It's actually about twenty-five trillion debt in public hands. That's really a small fraction of consumer household net worth. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's a. When you think about it, it's a very good debt equity ratio. I mean, I mean, the government but spends too much. But, uh, it's, but if you take Austrian school economics, they'll tell you that when you print money, the price of everything goes up. And a yeah. lot of that net worth increase was in fiscal assets and real estate because that we printed so much go. money. All right, kids. Thanks, uh, Jim, thanks, Jim. Jim LeCamp, thank you. Nancy Tangler, love, love, love. 
Folks, I'm Kudlow. We're going to take a break and then come back with some money and politics on the other side. Liz Peek and Joe Concha. Stay with us, please. all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy so we show them how and we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect not just one time but every chance we get that's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them they need to hear it often from you and when it comes to pain medications opioids they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. So talk, hear you. you can do it if you try. One million people. That's how many people go blind each year. That's a staggering number. Hi, I'm Randall Lavolio, President and CEO of Sea International. By the end of this year, one million men, women, and children will have gone blind. 285 million people worldwide are visually impaired, and 90% of them live in developing countries. Here's an even more sobering fact. Every 60 seconds, somewhere in the world, a child goes blind. They will live their lives unable to see the beautiful world around them if they don't get the treatment they need. Yet 80% of all these cases could have been prevented or treated. The only thing they lack is access to proper eye care. Sea International is a Santa Barbara-based nonprofit dedicated to getting them that care. All it takes is about $100 to restore someone's sight and transform their life forever. For more information, go to our website at cinternational.org. When it comes to making plans, you are the best. What about those round trips that you plan in advance, which are perfect on your way there and perfect on your way back? Or those meetings with friends for which you make a group chat three months before so that nobody or anything is missing? Or your daughter's first birthday party? You planned it with such dedication that instead of the first, it felt like our quinces. The same way you plan each detail for those moments. Start planning to protect you and your loved ones from a natural disaster. Sign up for local weather and emergency alerts. Prepare an emergency kit. And make a family communications plan. Protecting your family is the best plan you can make. Get started at ready.gov slash plan. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're going to do some money in politics with Liz Peek, Fox News contributor and syndicated columnist, and Joe Concha, columnist at The Messenger and Fox News contributor and author of Come On Man, The Truth About Biden's No Good, Horrible, Very Bad Presidency and How to Return America to Greatness. 
And Joe Concha, I begin with you. The problem with the debaters on the debate stage at the Reagan Library is that they didn't do the truth about Biden's no good, horrible, very bad presidency and how to return America to greatness. There was no over. I mean, nobody punched him out. Nobody attacked big government socialism. Nobody called for across the board tax cuts. Nobody called. Here, here's Donald Trump speaking to the UAW workers saying, quote, under the Trump administration, gasoline engines will be allowed and sex changes for children will be banned. Nobody had a line like that on the debate stage. So as a result, Trump was the winner of the debate. The morning consult poll shows an eight-point swing post-debate. Trump has gone from 58 to 63, and DeSantis has gone from 15 to 12. Joe Concha. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? Incredible. Absolutely incredible. It's like, you know, game, set, match. And that's the thing. There's such a feeling of inevitability to all this at this point, isn't there? I mean, I I can't remember the last time we had like an open primary, right, where (laughs) it's already over, it seems, in September of not 2024, but September 2023, right? It's still, what, 400 days till Election Day? And it's just, (laughs) Larry, it's impossible for these guys and, and Nikki Haley to break through here because they mirror Trump so much on so many policies, right? But they can't seem to articulate it and bottle it into what you just read as far as Trump. Obama-Biden ran an excellent campaign in 2012 because this is what they ran on. And I remember it now, and we're 11 years later. They said, GM is alive and uh, and bin Laden is dead. That's it. You know, we saved the auto industry and we killed the bad guy. That's what it comes down to. Oh, that's that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's That's Axelrod. Give him credit, man. He's he's good at what he does. That's Uh, fabulous. That's where we are. That's where we are. they, they, They can't. Who Mark Simone had a great um, description on your show. He mm. said, we were looking on that stage at a bunch of middle managers and not a CEO. And that's, that's the feeling that you get at this point. Well, what was his other one was like when they started yelling at each other? It, it was a bad game show program. <laughs> yeah. Mark, Mark came prepared that day. And it was... Not uh, either. That's but, just, that's just by the way, with you guys in the lead, that was a wonderful time. The ratings for that show were very, very good. Liz, Peak, um, Liz uh, so Trump goes to California, and um, he's at some, I don't know where he was, at Dairy Queen or something, and he's buying everybody ice cream. And this one guy blurts out, he said, Trump buys, wait, Trump gives me ice cream, and Biden gives me $6 a gallon. <laughs> Uh, in California, Larry, it's seven dollars a gallon, right? Uh, I, but I mean, you know, for short takes, that's kind of where the race is. Yeah, and I think your your quote from Trump is is completely perfect. I mean, bring it home. Yeah. Nobody brought it home to the kitchen table, and yeah. that, and no one. It, it was kind of weird. I, I thought it was a horrible debate, honestly. Um, and <laughs> yes. nobody really spoke to people like human beings. I don't know. It was just a, it was kind of strange. It was a food fight, very unattractive um, for some of the candidates, like Nikki Haley had done very well in the first debate, and she really demeaned herself, in my view, by punching down at Vivek Ramaswamy and Tim Scott. She didn't need to do that. She was kind of surging into second place behind Donald Trump in some of these polls. So own that. I mean, look like uh, a leader. Don't look like somebody who's you know, willing to kind of spar it out with other people. It, it just, it was unattractive. And anyway, 
I, I, I thought it was discouraging. And yeah, I, I'm not at all surprised that Morning Consult uh, shows Trump the winner. You know, uh, Nikki Haley was having a decent debate until she started calling Vivek a yeah. dummy and, you know, China. Yeah. So he has an account on TikTok. Big deal. I mean, I don't like TikTok either. Nobody likes TikTok. Nobody likes China. So he has an account on TikTok. Okay, what? It's not a criminal offense. I mean, it just she just wiped out all the good she tried to do. Yeah. And I mean, again, I you're nobody. There was no breakout breakouts. This, there was no Reagan in this debate. That was a, you're in the Reagan library, but there was no Reagan in this debate. And we were talking about this earlier in the show with Charlie. Uh, heard in John Carney and point that I like, uh, you know, Trump speaks in bold colors. Mm-hmm. All right, the the debaters and the others they they're speaking in pastels, and the voters right now want bold colors. And this is Trump's great advantage as a communicator. Whatever you think of the guy, uh, he just is a powerful, powerful communicator. Um, and I think it's going to do well. By the way, let's talk about this other piece of news. Uh, RFK Jr., Bob Kennedy Jr. might run as an independent. Joe Concha, yeah. what do you think that might mean? Well, we could have another repeat of 2000, right, where uh, Florida may not have gone to George W. Bush, right, without a certain candidate named Ralph Nader. Uh, oh. And sometimes it's these third-party candidates. Remember that? Or, or Jill Stein, right? 2016, yep. apparently yep. took enough votes away from Hillary and states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and that's how Trump won. So it's so minuscule, the margin, which it shouldn't be, by the way. I mean, Joe Biden, any any other year, any other time would be beaten by Reagan-esque proportions, right? Like 49 states to one type of thing, based on his record, based on his age, based on the perception of him mentally. Uh, But this is going to be a race just like 2016, just like 2020, that comes down to a couple of states and 10,000 votes here and 12,000 votes there. And if Robert F. Kennedy Jr. ends up running as an independent, the question is, who does he siphon votes away from? I would argue Biden, because at one point he was at 20 percent support among Mm -hmm. Democratic voters against Joe Biden. I can't see too many being siphoned away from Trump just because they're so ideologically different. Perhaps, I guess, maybe not on vaccines, but I don't see that as like a big, big issue in 2024. So if he goes third party, trust me, the Biden people will not be happy about that. What do you think, Liz? Oh, I, I agree 100 percent. I mean, and and RFK Jr. has to be prepared for being completely slimed by the mainstream <laughs> media and Democrats going yeah. forward. Look what they're doing to no labels. I mean, they are panicked that there's another line on every ballot uh, for anybody, any third party, any independent, because exactly right. An awful lot of people don't want to vote for Joe Biden. By the way, even in 2020, people didn't want to vote for Joe Biden. If you look at the polling, mm. they voted against Donald Trump. Well, mm. now if you have two reasons or two opportunities to vote against Donald Trump, you're not going to, I mean, Joe's totally right. Those are not going to be Trump voters or Republicans generally, I don't think, who siphon off to the RFK column. But I, I think Democrats are going to bring everything they can bring to keep this guy from doing that. And by the way, they have similar angst about Cornell West and all kinds of other people who have raised that possibility. But RFK Jr. is a serious uh, threat, w- without a doubt, to Joe Biden. Yeah. Liz, I can't. Were you at the dinner with RFK Jr.? No, I, 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 sadly, I could not be there. You know, just saying, um, 
he was very good. Uh, I mean, I know him a little bit. Uh, I spoke with him privately, but um, he was very calm and gracious and kind of laid out his positions. He has some interesting positions, you know, on COVID and shutdowns and stuff like that. And oh, yeah. The, the deep state. Uh, he's an industrial policy guy. I mean, it's a lot, I mean he's, he knew that the, the crowd was not going to be with him on a number of issues. But he kind of—he's a very intelligent guy, and I—I I don't think they can push him around. In other words, if he's going to do this, and he's saying something about a speech October ninth in Philadelphia, um, if I don't think they can push him around. I mean, that's the sense. I don't think he cares. You know, I, I mean, he is who he is. Um, He's got money. Uh, his life doesn't depend on this stuff. And he has a magic name, Larry. He has a yeah. magic name for an yeah, awful lot of old-time Democrats. And, and I, I would just say one other thing. When he first launched and uh, over the summer months, he brought up things, I thought, very cleverly, sort of saying, you know, I'm an old-time Democrat. Since when are Democrats the pro-war party, meaning, of course, their support uh, for Ukraine? When are Democrats the pro-pharma Big pharma uh, party. Well, mm. I mean, there, and you kind of got to wonder, you know, whatever happened to Democrat concern and suspicions about big pharma? They've all in on COVID vaccines and the profits to be made from those. So I thought he had some interesting talking points. It's going to mm -hmm. resonate with some Democrats. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that old line Democrat. And he has a magic name. You're quite right. So it'll really hurt Biden. Yep. Um, Joe, is Biden going to run? Boy, that's a <laughs> weekly question, isn't it? I, you know, I just filed a column for for the Messenger, and uh, we all know Jimmy Finkelstein, of course. I'm sure he'll be sending it to both of you tomorrow uh, yes, when it hits. Yes, uh, he I wrote about how Michelle Obama. There's a scenario out there that Ted Cruz floated on his podcast yep. that said, "Okay, I think that." When the convention comes, Joe Biden's going to come up with some sort of excuse that he can't continue, health, whatever. And then they're going to basically install, through delegates, Michelle Obama as the nominee. In other words, she won't have to campaign, won't have to go to Iowa in the middle of winter, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. She'll basically be installed. And then since she has these favorability ratings that are the highest among, amongst any woman in this country, by a country mile still, and she's been out of the White House for many years now, uh, then, then they'll coast to victory. Basically, it's like the Oprah candidate that they always wanted. And I said, that's not going to happen, because Michelle Obama just got something like $750,000 for a one-hour speech, right? She's getting Emmy nominations on Netflix. She's, getting, <laughs> she's living a celebrity life on the water, Martha's Vineyard. You think she wants to jump into this swamp? No way, no shot. So I, I don't see that happening. So then I, we go back to Gavin Newsom again, because Kamala Harris is obviously not a viable option. It just seems like too many things have to be moved for Joe Biden not to be running. Well, but wait a Think of this. I saw a thing this morning. I, I don't know where it was um, that Gavin Newsom would make a deal. Get this. He's going to he's going to put Kamala Harris in <laughs> Feinstein's Senate seat. OK, uh, and that's going to put him in the vice president's seat. And then they'll offer Kamala. Wait, let me. Yeah, that's Supreme right. Court. Supreme Court. Yes, that yeah. was the scenario. That was the scenario. Exactly right. Huh. Um, I don't know I what. Don't, how in the world can he nominate Kamala Harris to be the the Senate replacement for Dianne Feinstein when she's vice president? Well, <laughs> that doesn't make have, any sense to me to at step, all. 
<laughs> She'll have to step down. I don't know. And then Gavin Newsom is the vice presidential guy. Sure. And I don't no. know what happens to Joe Biden. Anyway, we're going to take a break. Uh, the government is going <laughs> to shut down, and Hakeem Jeffries is going to be the news speaker. We're here with Liz Peake, Fox News contributor and syndicated columnist, and Joe Concha, columnist at The Messenger, Fox News contributor, and author of Come On, Man, The Truth About Biden's No Good, Horrible, Very Bad Presidency, and How to Return America to Greatness. I'm Cudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow, from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back. We're talking money and politics with Liz Peake, Fox News contributor and syndicated columnist, and Joe Concha, columnist at The Messenger, Fox News contributor, and author of Come On, Man, The Truth About Biden's Presidency. <laughs> we'll truncate. Um, Thank you. Let's talk about government shutdowns. Very exciting. So the latest is I don't need to get in the weeds too much, but here's the deal. Kevin McCarthy is now pushing a 45 day continuing resolution, the so-called clean bill. It will include disaster relief for Maui and so forth. It will not, however, include money for funding Ukraine. Uh, they'll vote on that at some point in the next few hours, it's going to require, it'll pass with Democratic votes, okay? Now, having said that, uh, Matt Gates and some others from the Freedom Caucus have said, if you pass a CR with Democratic votes, then we are going to vote to vacate the chair, mm. meaning bring uh, McCarthy down, and that would require a vote. Uh, I have no idea how this is going to end, except Hakeem Jeffries the Democratic leader could emerge as Speaker of the House, as bizarre as that sounds. Now, Liz Peake, I'm going to go to you on this to get your take. Uh, do we have to do this, or maybe we'll shut down would be better, or what? Well, look, McCarthy's trying to make this go away. Uh, he's trying to get the Republicans on board with something. And, you know, look, he survived all those um, votes when, when the debt ceiling issue came about, and he survived that, uh, and he got something done. Let's hope it. Let's hope it happens again. The Republicans are, you know, capable, as we all know, of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And I don't want to see a government shutdown. On the other hand, I'm totally torn on this, Larry, because the numbers on government spending are absolutely horrifying, and no one's paying any attention to them. So, I think it is completely reasonable for Republicans to take a tough line here. Uh, if that can be done without a government shutdown, so be it. And they need, you know, I wish they had started this process months ago, because they should have, to get these appropriations bills written the way they wanted them, and then present them to the American people and argue their case, instead of having it now look disorganized and, and chaotic, uh, which is kind of becoming the Republican brand, I'm afraid. Um, but yeah. I, I actually am torn on this. I don't know which way. I don't want a government shutdown. I think politically that's always negative. But my gosh, we have got to do something to turn this arc of increased deficit spending uh, around. Joe, um, government shutdown will give Joe Biden ammunition against Republicans. It will take away, I think, and distract from the uh, collapse of Biden's polls and also, to some extent, will take away and distract from the um, from the impeachment inquiry 
and the House Oversight Committee. I mean, I, I think the GOP would have been better advised to get their ducks in a row yep. before we hit this point, Joe. That's, you know, kind of thinking there. But I don't know. How do you see this? I don't know. Does the country care about this stuff or not? I'm not sure they do, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and getting the ducks in a row, McCarthy largely did that. He, but his problem is he's got five very rogue ducks that like to go on TV a lot and bring attention to themselves. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're kind of hard to control, yeah. right? Uh, look, I don't know. Like, I remember where I was. I was young during Game 6, Mets, Red Sox, uh, World Series, right? And I remember where I was where Brady bought the Patriots back 28-3 against the Falcons in the Super Bowl. Like, these are things I remember in my life. What I don't remember, Larry, Liz, is December 28th, 2018 to January 25th, 2019, 35 days, our government was shut down. And at last check, as far as just being a, a regular guy, gal out there, the garbage still got picked up. The traffic lights still worked. And if I called 911, someone probably picked up. In other words, the media really fear mongers around government yeah. shutdowns. But in the end, does it really impact the average person, 99.5% of them? No, probably not. So maybe you do take a, a tough stand here and, and, and force Biden's hand. And I don't think it'll hurt Republicans as much as maybe some other folks do. Joe, my paycheck was postponed for three weeks. Oh. <laughs> Oh, how did you eat? So you, what you know is that the mainstream media right now is lining up all these semi-tragic stories of yes. people whose paychecks are delayed and they have to go on food stamps and people who travel 3,000 miles to go to the Vietnam War Memorial. I remember that one actually from the last shutdown and they can't get in or whatever because of, of the shutdown. They, they will make it as onerous and horrible sounding as they possibly can. But to Joe's point, it's really a very small fraction of the country that will be in any way impacted. And it could be because of inflation and because people have been so hammered by it and because voters connect that to too much spending that, you know, it's like the Tea Party time. Maybe we're ready for some tough talk on spending. I, I don't know about I mean, I think it's possible Republicans get away with it. Hakeem Jeffries could wind up Speaker of the House, Joe. Yes, that would be horrifying. <laughs> I'm telling you. It, wow. I mean, it, because McCarthy, I mean, if they vacate the chair and yeah. you get a vote on this, the, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm a big supporter and personal friend of Kevin McCarthy's, but the reality is he may have to rely on Democratic votes to hold his speakership, and I don't think it's there for him. Larry, Larry, question, serious question about this. Where is Donald Trump? Why isn't he calling Matt Gates and some of these guys and saying, get this done? You know, let's have the government move forward, keep Kevin McCarthy in his chair, et cetera. I mean, I would think the former president could be very impactful here. He could be. Uh, he's been very ambiguous about mm -hmm. this. He's, I Let mean, he said... Out. He really has. Uh, and I know him, and I know what he doesn't want to do, and I know what he does want to do. It's very difficult. Uh, he's saying, if you can't get the spending cuts, go for a shutdown. But the rest of that, as it plays out with the speakership, I don't know. Anyway, kids, thank you ever so much, Liz Peake and Joe Concha. You're both terrific. Folks. Thanks, Larry. We will be, Thanks, we're going to close down for today. We will be back next weekend. I'm Larry Kudlow. Thanks for listening.